Barb's brother Gerald Carlton from Glenview, Illinois. Um, I had the chance to meet you two years ago? Yeah, it was about two years ago. I think we met at Chicago Live. Uh, they were having a first degree -er. That's right, and, in yeah. Skokie. And, and afterwards, I gave you a ride home uh, to the Polk Motel. And uh, I was very happy to have got the chance to meet you again here, uh, back to visiting. And you have had a very long and very distinguished career in Freemasonry. So I wanted to get a chance to interview you and talk about your, your career. Because it spans 52 years? 52 years, yes. How did you... Uh, um, what was your, your decision-making process to first uh, look into joining a lodge? Did you always plan to join? Was it a spur-of-the-moment thing? No, my, my father was a Mason uh, years ago, and uh, I, then I, uh, I lived in western Kentucky. He was a Mason there, and, that, and then uh, I came to Illinois, uh, and after I got married, uh, hey, we had a lot of kids and everything, so I didn't think about it for a long time about actually joining. And then my brother-in-law had got into, into it, my sister's husband, and he talked to me about it. So then I was 34 years old when I joined, you know, and uh, I joined uh, there, and then I got active right away. I got very active right away and stayed active all these years. So That's something interesting that you bring up. You know, I, I'm a secretary of my lodge, been a past master a couple of times. Um, you know, one thing that always concerns me when we have new guys joining, especially if they're in their, you know, early 20s, they are just getting married, just having kids, is, you know, will they have the time, especially when their family is young, to dedicate themselves to Freemasonry? It sounds like you chose to wait a little bit, maybe joined later than, than many, but when you did join, you had the time to dedicate yourself, you know, quite significantly to the craft. That's true. I, you know, by me joining late, I was able to, you know, my kids were, were getting around, uh, you know, able to take care of themselves pretty much. And uh, I was able to uh, get a lot of time involved and still be with them naturally. But you're right, because uh, today's world is a lot different than it was back then. It seemed like there's a lot more things to do. But the young guys are coming in early at 20, 20 actually at 18. They're coming in at 18. By the time they're 22, they've already masters of the lodges. And then they get married or buy a house, start having kids, and then they drop out. You know, they keep maybe keep their membership, but they're not active, you know. Uh, we have uh, many right now, we have a past masters club, and the last five past masters that we have don't come to that club, you know. Do you, do you think that, uh, you know, one thing that, well, I guess my question is, how, how do you think uh, a lodge can connect with, you know, younger men and keep them interested in the craft, but they don't necessarily have to, to join? You know, there's social events and, um, you know, our Grand Lodge in Ontario has been really pushing the idea of, you know, not having people join right away, but spending time getting to know them and bringing them to social events. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can be a, a friend to a lodge without necessarily joining until, you know, you have more time in your life. Well, we have uh, recently one of my lodges that uh, very active and has just uh, made a decision like, they, uh, if a candidate, you know, asks to come in or talks about wanting to join, uh, we are going to invite him out to at least three meetings for to have dinner. Uh, naturally, he can't go to the meetings, but uh, to to have dinner and to socialize with the guys beforehand, try to get a little to know them a little better than just just uh, signing the petition and having that voted on. Uh, we think that this might help out. So. We, I know a couple other lodges that are doing the same thing. So your, you said your father was a Mason. Um, did, did, was his father Mason? Was there a long uh, Masonic Christian in your family? I know that your son is a Mason, one of your sons, so. Yeah, one of my sons. We have that, the, the Lewis Jewel, they call it, with the, 
he has it with the three names on it. I'd have it with two names on it. But uh, the strange thing about my father being a Mason, uh, my mother died when I was four years old, so I didn't know my mother. Uh, she died one week after my fourth birthday, and she was bedridden for a year before that. So I didn't, didn't I don't remember her at all. And oh, my father, we had six kids, there were six of us. And my father was afraid that we would be going into an uh, orphan's home or something and be broken up. And uh, the Masonic, uh, in, El in uh, Kentucky, they had a Masonic home for, for, uh, um, for kids and that. And he thought uh, that that would help out maybe. So he joined the Mason for that reason. And uh, so, you know, as many, many people joined for different reasons, that was the reason he joined us. But it never happened. He was able to keep us all together as it was when we were raised, so. You know, these type of things, Masonic homes, I was in Texas and I saw the Texas Masonic Retirement Center. Um, you know, they're just, they're such a, a wonderful example of what uh, uh, an organization like the Freemasons and what the Freemasons, you know, can do when the craft is well looked after and when, uh, uh, you know, the membership is significant. Um, you know, it's just amazing some of the things and some of the ways that Freemasons took care of their communities in the past. Yeah, right now, uh, the uh, Grand Lodge of Illinois has quite a few uh, things like we have uh, the ill chip program we call and we're going to be doing that very soon in our lodge but they come in and, and they bring kids from the neighborhood not just not masons but kids from anywhere around the area will be able to come there that day and they will they will uh, the police will be there they'll fingerprint them uh, they will uh, do DNA on them all and all this, and they'll have a record of that, and they, the, the lodge does not keep that record. They, they just they give that record to the family, and then if the kid is kidnapped or something happens, they're lost, or they can give that direct to the police, and they'll, be no, they'll know who to search for, what to search for, and all about them, you know. And that's a big deal, and uh, we're, we, we finance that, you know, that's the thing, is financing it and doing it, and doing it, furnishing the people to do it. And we have our learning centers, we call The learning centers are run, run mostly by the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry in Illinois, and the Grand Lodge supports that with money and that. And on that one, they teach the teachers how to recognize problems within the, with the kids and that. And then we have the autism program, which we teach. Uh, we have that going. That's a big thing in the state of Illinois with the Masons all paying for all that stuff. Not to mention uh, or that we have scholarships for all, from all different ones. And each one of the branches of Freemasonry has some kind of a of, uh, disease that they, uh, they, they uh, give money to, you know, for, to see if we can find a cure for it. So, you know, 52 years of Freemasonry. Uh, you started when you were 34 and you kind of, you mentioned, right, you, you got involved pretty quickly, pretty regularly. Did you start at the, uh, like, did you go through all the office chairs? Um, did, I know you're currently secretary. Have you been secretary before? I guess what, what was your progression of, of getting involved within the craft? Well, right, I, uh, you know, when I did my catechism, I found out that was very, uh, I did very good on all of my catechism and it kind of encouraged me. And I had a lot of grand lectures at that time that were working in my lives and, and that. And I decided right away, uh, as soon as I was raised, that I wanted to be a, a grand lecturer, I wanted to be an instructor to pass that on. So I got involved and then, yeah, I made master in four years and then, uh, I got my commission as a grand lecturer. Then I went back and I went through all of all the I went through all of the chairs more than once, you know. And I also served as master of two other lodges. I served as master of my lodge for three years, and another lodge for one year, and another lodge for two years. And that, and I've been, you know, I served almost every year of my 52 years. I've served as a master as a uh, officer in a lodge 
you know. And that, now I've been uh, I'm secretary at the, I was secretary of other lodges before, and I took this one uh, on the spur of the moment, uh, even though it requires a lot of computer work and at my age, I'm able to handle it. I'm very very uh, happy about that. What would you say to uh, newer Masons um, considering? Uh, becoming involved in the lodge at, at an officer level, uh, at a mentoring level, or, or whatever level, uh, uh, looking at getting into the chairs and, and getting involved, what advice would you have for them uh, about getting started? Well, I uh, I know that one part, one thing is I found out that my own research, nothing professional, but only about one out of ten of our candidates today become active afterwards. Now that doesn't mean that they then don't keep their membership, they just don't get active, you know. And uh, if they do get active and they become an officer, I point out to them the big thing that I always, and someone else told me this and that's what got me said, you gotta make your plans and work your plans. Just today uh, our guys make plans, they make a lot of plans, but then they don't work them. And at the end of their term, those plans were not done and they don't, uh, you know, they really didn't do what they wanted to do. Uh, if they did, that might help them stay in longer and, and try again or whatever. But uh, today, uh, you know, to, to say, you know, what you could do or, or how you could be, uh, get more out of it, it's, it's hard to say because everybody gets a different part of the masonry. I, so that's an interesting point, right? and, and that's been a common theme in these interviews. Uh, you know, everybody will join Freemasonry for different reasons, right? You talked about your father and, and why he joined, and, and some people join because of a family connection, some join um, because they're interested in the history or they're, they're looking for friends um, or a community, or they join because their friends join. Um, how important is it, do you think, uh, like for, for somebody who's just joining, when they or put an application in, for that investigation process, getting to know the applicant, how important is it for a lodge to, to talk with the candidate about, or the applicant, about why he wants to join and what he hopes to get from the craft? Uh, and do you think that there are times when um, it's maybe better for an application to be denied if the, the candidate is perhaps, or applicant is, is applying for, you know, he's, he's concerned as he might be disappointed when he joins if he's not joining necessarily for the best reason. Yes, uh, I think that uh, we when we interview them, uh, we need to point out uh, what they really think they're going to get out of it. As a uh, saying that one of our past grandmasters had years ago, he wrote a little uh, charge and he said, I thought at the time I first read it that it's kind of con controversial, but it, in, now that I've been thinking about it, I think it's not a bad point to make. And he said, you know, the, the question is, will masonry be any good for you and will you be any good for masonry? So that's the thing you have to think about and that's what I, I did. Masonry did a lot of things for me, and I'm not going to go through that here, but Masonry did do a lot of things for me in my life, and I tried to pay back. I tried to do things back for them and that. But uh, and I would like to say that, that the last year, I have uh, six candidates that I've interviewed, and this is not the investigating committee. I interviewed them to get their petition and they came through on uh, on the internet. They 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 uh, called the Grand Lodge and asked them <clears throat> to put them in touch with the lodge in the air in the area where they live. And then I would meet with them, and I spent one hour with them, and I I I took them to the lodge hall and explained to them all about it, masonry. That without giving away any secrets, I showed them you know how masonry works, what we're doing, and all you know the officer list, uh, the cost of what it's going to cost and uh, the obligations you might need, uh, you know, to, to attend and stuff like that. 
And I think that really paid out. These all these guys now are come in and they're all active. So, uh, and I think that was a big part. And like I said, it's not the investigating committee; it's something different. Well, is that just does that just go to show the importance of kind of a lodge working together, right? So not not relying solely on the investigation, uh, the investigative committee, and taking their word for it, but you know having having applicants meet with other members and and tour and and taking your time and, and allowing an entire lodge or a significant portion thereof to get to know the applicant as opposed to relying solely on, you know, three three masons in, in one committee. Yeah, you know, uh, back in, in Illinois, and I did a lot of research in that. In Illinois, 1929 was the highest membership of, of masons in Illinois, around 400,000. We're down now to uh, 40,000. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, you know, and some that couldn't be helped, and I'm not going to go into that, but what I want to point out is is that the uh, we had in, in Illinois in the, in the 1920s, we had at least six lodges in Chicago that had over 2,000 members. And now uh, even my my mother lodge, uh, when I joined in 1969, still still had a thousand members, and that. And if you think about it, that, that what it told me was, you know, masonry wasn't isn't set up for all the members to be active. If you had a lodge with a thousand members in it, you know, there was no place. None of the temples we have, as big as they are, none of them could carry a, hundred, a thousand people. They don't, you know, they don't. They only allow most of them. The biggest ones only allow about 200 people into one of the rooms, so. So masonry wasn't set up for everybody to be active. There's a lot of different ways that they can work into masonry without being active, without going to the lodge. We've had members that was, they went to the lodge maybe two or three times in their whole 50-year life, but they did a lot of donations or they did, they did stuff on committees and things like that, you know. So just, it, that's the way it is. Well, it's that importance of contributing, right? If you're going to be part of something, finding a way to contribute to it, whether it be through your attendance, which is which is uh, which is a contribution. You know, I think one thing that sometimes is overlooked is just the value of somebody's presence, even if they don't have any work to do. Uh, just being there for a degree to see a candidate, uh, I think that's one type of contribution. But just you know. You can contribute by being an officer. You can contribute by donation. You can contribute by um, working with the secretary. There's there's a lot of ways to contribute, but you know the question is: is that person that Mason contributing, or is it just uh, you know like an empty apron kind of thing on the sidelines? Yeah, well, you hit a good point there. That seems to be our biggest problem right now. Is uh, we maybe have a good group of officers and they do a good job and that is sideliners. We're down, we just don't have sideliners. We're down on sideliners. I saw quite a few meetings where ever seat ever officers in their chair, they're doing a great job and maybe three or four sideliners, you know, and that's what does that say to the candidate, you know? He's coming into an organization and there's nobody there, you know, except the workers. So and that that's where we're losing out now is the sideliners have the other people that aren't active. Uh, actually, actually, actually active, but they uh, they don't come out and support. You know, they got a lot of things that they can do at home with the television and telephones and that. And how we're going to counteract that, I don't know. We need to do something uh, to try to get them to come out and and uh, support us on the sidelines. Is that uh, to what extent is is that a question of just explaining to candidates, um, or not can explain to an applicant, and then you know uh, a new mason uh, the value of of attendance. You know, you often hear brethren say, um, "If I don't have any work to do, or if I don't have a part in the degree, um, I don't need to show up." I know, you know, when I was setting up degrees, one thing that a lot of members would encourage me to do is you know, divvy up as many parts as you can. So 
people have something to do, they're more likely to show up. Uh, and my concern with that, or my response was, you know, wouldn't they want, shouldn't they want to show up just to support the candidate, not necessarily because they have to do a, a piece of work? Um, but is that just an example of the Lodge failing to explain and um, emphasize the value of attendance? Well, in our, we were told our investigating committees, you know, to impress this on the, our, the candidates that are coming into our lodge, uh, to impress on them that we expect them to, you know, to attend meetings. We expect them to come out. We don't, we don't force anyone to be an officer. We're not going to push anything on anybody that don't want it, but we expect them to support the lodge and come out to the meetings and be there and uh, to help, you know, to support the officers and candidates that are coming in. And whether this is going to work or not, we don't know. We're pushing that very hard right now. We don't, the only time will tell, you know. I have, and this is, I speak for myself and not for the Grand Lodge of Canada and the province of Ontario, so nobody can get mad at me. I'm just speaking for my own accord. But I've argued on more than a few occasions for uh, uh, an attendance requirement, um, which exists in other jurisdictions. The Philippines, for example, uh, a Mason is required to attend uh, three meetings per year. Uh, I mean, obviously they can attend more, they can attend every meeting, but at a minimum they have to attend three meetings per year. Um, I've never understood why, why that's not seriously considered in North American jurisdictions as uh, an attendance requirement. I mean, we at least in Ontario, and I'm guessing this is the same in, in Illinois, you know, we require them to pay dues every year. So we require money from them or they risk suspension, but we don't require their attendance, which to me seems backwards. I'd much rather have their attendance than their money because we can find a way through benevolence, through whatever it is to make up lost dues. We can't make up a lost presence. If he's not there, he's just not there. Yeah. So I've, I've, that's just my, my own thought. I've never understood why we can't require three, three meetings per year. Seems like a reasonable number to me, but that's just my opinion. I don't know if you have any thoughts uh -huh. on that yourself. Or... Well, I'm sure that opinion has been joined by a lot of other people that, that uh, I've heard that over the years too. Uh, I don't speak for the Grand Lodge of Illinois, uh, but I do know what they teach. And I also, I always support the Grand Lodge and the Grand Master. I've been on a Grand Lodge committee all my life. I've on different committees and stuff. And uh, every year, uh, uh, and uh, I support whoever is making the rules and regulations at the time. But, but those are some of the things you think about. You know, it, uh, like you do. We our Grand Lodge does not have a dress code, but they support a lodge that has one. If it, you know, on that if a lodge if it's most of the, some of the lodges you know require a jacket and tie, then the Grand Lodge su supports that. But as long as they don't force somebody, you know. But uh, so, and like you say, we uh, we very strictly uh, tell them that they have to pay dues. That's an, that's part of our obligation, and uh, is to pay dues and that. You know. And they could very easily, I guess, uh, you know, make a rule uh, if it's so they so wanted to. But so. Let's talk about um, uh, yourself specifically, because you know, as you alluded to, you have had a, uh, a a very long but a very distinguished Masonic career. You showed me some of the some of your accomplishments over the years. A uh, bit of a celebrity, you've been in the newspaper and, and also Masonic publications. Uh, just talk about some of your. And I'm sure 52 years it all flies by, but some of some of the moments and memories that really stand out for you uh, in your Masonic journey, either that you know uh, honors you received, or or even just things you've been to or attended that meant a lot to you. Well, yes, I uh, you know way back in my first uh, really uh, honor that I received was the MSA from the Scottish Rite. And I was director of makeup uh, for, I was their director for 10 years for the makeup for their degree work and that. 
and I've been a member of it for 50 years. I've been doing it for 50 years, and so, and, uh, but the, uh, then later on, I got in, involved in the York Rite, and in the York Rite, I got the, uh, I got the, the OPC, the Order of the Purple Cross in the York Rite College, and that was conferred upon me in Nashville, Tennessee, and that, uh, I like that, and when I got the 33rd degree, it was conferred on me in the District of Columbia. Uh, so those places, you know, going around and traveling and getting the awards in those different places uh, conferred upon you, and that, and uh, I got uh, an award in the Grand Encampment of the Grand Commandery of the United States of America there. That award was uh, given in, uh, I believe, in uh, uh, Springfield, Illinois, but uh, traveling around uh, with the, as a grand lecturer, I was a Grand Lodge instructor for uh, 14 years, and I was traveling all over the state of Illinois doing these schools, and that's where I met so many people, you know, because all, and they were all officers who were learning the work, you know, from different lodges all over the state, so, so those are, the, those are the things that I'm proud of. More than more than the awards, I'm proud of what I that I taught these kids that are younger guys or older guys either uh, how to uh, do the floor work and ritual and Illinois masonry uh, for 47 years. And you mentioned you know traveling all throughout the state. Um, how important is it, do you think, for uh, a Freemason to spend time traveling and, and visiting other lodges. It could be within his district, could be outside of his district, within his state, outside of his state. Mm -hmm. um, just taking the time to, to visit and, and see other lodges and other Masons. I think that's very important. I try to impress that on the new guys today as visitation. I think visitation is one of the biggest and best things to learn. And during my time from 1969 on and through to the 90s, uh, because of my visitation to other lodges, I was I was honored with uh, with uh, with honorary membership on 12 different lodges, and I still hold all those. But mo a lot of them have merged over the years and cut it down to about six lodges, you know. But uh, that's how you get an honorary membership from a lodge. You go over there and you help them do degree work and you help them work or, or you attend their lodges just like you do your own. Now, I understand everybody can't do that, you know, that give that kind of time, you know, that I was able to give. But uh, visitation is a big thing, I think, and, uh, for the younger guys nowadays uh, to visit other lodges and see what they're doing, you know. I mean, uh, our work is supposed to be the same all over the state, so not looking at the work, but to looking out how they do it and how they handle it, you know. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm back to to traveling. Uh, myself now that um, the you know there's a quarantine exemption for fully vaccinated travelers in Canada. Uh, I know that you know we mentioned before that you yourself. Uh, uh, are fully vaccinated and uh, talking to people at Glenview Lodge. Um, just as as slowly but surely, you know, Freemasonry returns from uh, any type of stoppages with, with COVID-19 um, and, you know, public health measures and meetings resume. Um, it's just, how important is it, especially now, do you think, for Freemasons to, well, A, uh, get vaccinated so they can, but then to to take advantage and to travel and to take part in Lodge as it returns. Because my biggest concern is, you know, if we start out slowly and we don't have a lot of momentum, it's going to stall out. You know, now is the time when we need to kind of re, uh, you know, rededicate ourselves to the craft because the last thing you want to do is upon your return have, you know, uh, low attendance. You know, you want to build excitement right at the start. You know, it's very important, I think, uh, since the pandemic uh, really did hurt us as far as, uh, you know, keeping us from going to meetings and traveling and and meeting other things uh, that uh, we were already having problem with attendance. And then this threw us, really threw us in the hole. 
So I think it's very important now that people start coming out that, that now that it's safe for them to come out, you know, they don't want them to come out unless it's safe, but it's safe for them to come out. They need to come out and get uh, get some enthusiasm going back in, you know, and that. So, and uh, I'm hoping that that's going to happen. And some of the, uh, the uh, dependent bodies of uh, Masonry in Illinois are really pushing on that right now. Some our Scottish Rite was closed up for almost a whole year. So now they're doing double duty. They're going to have more than just one meeting a month. They're going to try to catch up and do some things like that. And the Shrine is doing the same thing. And then, and on, of course, our lodges, oh, most of the lodges have two meetings a month. And uh, they're active now because we had a backlog of candidates. We did have people Believe it or not, we did have a lot of petitions coming in. We just couldn't handle them. That's all because we we couldn't vote on them and we couldn't do different things, which are you know, because of the pandemic, we couldn't meet in person. You know, we've got uh, a large number of. Um, I think most lodges in Ontario is the same. You know, we're getting a lot of applicants and and petitions coming through. Um, how much of a challenge is it to try to not not just to deal with you know deal with them during uh, any any uh, you know in person meeting suspensions, but even coming back, I mean, any concern about you know uh, rust on degree work, having to practice again? I mean, you don't want to just go right back into degrees. I would assume you want to give your guys a chance to practice and. Just a, uh, how much of a challenge is it to try to get back into the the flow of Freemasonry? It's a pretty big challenge right now. And as me with an instructor and a teacher, what we're doing right now is we're having at least two uh, rehearsals before we do the actual degree. But even setting up the degrees now is a big problem. Uh, here's the way that we got a challenge. Here's the way the challenge is right now. Our lights meet twice a month and most lodges meet twice a month. The first meeting of the month is a stated meeting, so we don't do any degree work there. So we have one, one meeting a month where we can do degree work, and let's say we have five candidates out there. So five candidates means 15 degrees because we got uh, three degrees for each one. So that would be 15 months, you know, and the candidates can't, they won't wait 15 months, you gotta get it done. Uh, the Grand Lodge, uh, under dispensation, they are allowing now to do, we have a multiple degree where we can do three at one time, or a blue lightning where we can get a group of people together and that. But the state is about 50-50 uh, in agreements with that. About 50% of the Masons uh, in Illinois uh, don't want that to happen, and about 50 does. But the Grand Masters uh, take it on themselves to, to allow some of that, and especially right now, uh, to try to get it caught up. But as I, I said in the beginning, we we don't want to do a half-heart hazard job. We want to still do it really good. And there is, there is a way to do it uh, by having an, an exemplar and still do a good job, you know. And... Uh, I was at the the double first at um, as at the Glenview Masonic Temple, uh, and it did seem to to go very well. Um, so, as we you know, as you move forward and and you keep up the practice and you keep up the the work and the degrees, and you mentioned Grand Lodge making allowances for. Um, you're having three degrees at once. Um, do you do you suspect that it's going, or I guess what do you suspect the trend will be? Do you think, will it be, do you think we're going to continue seeing more applications coming through the door? Um, or do you suspect it's, um, once the backlog is cleared and all the applicants are put through, it'll go back to kind of pre-COVID levels? I, I, I believe that we're going to, see a surge in Freemasonry. I, I, I believe it's really going to happen because, and, and uh, I think that we knew we do need to uh, have these, uh, I'm not so sure about the multiple degrees, but have a festival every now and then to get these candidates through 
without keeping them, you know, going, waiting and waiting and waiting. Because if you know, it takes too much just to get the petition in, you know. Uh, in Illinois, you, the petition is presented at one state in the meeting, and then uh, then it has to be approved, and the investigating committee has to come out, and then this, the the second month, then you vote on it, and you can't give the degree that same night you're voting on it. So then you got another wait another month. So it takes a candidate uh, time to go through as it is, and I think we're going to have to uh, to allow these. Uh, more, more of these, uh, uh, where you use an exemplar, or any other set on the sideline and see it. And I just think, in honor, of that, not in honor of that, but uh, to say that it could be successful is one of our grandmasters uh, at the Grand Lodge a few years back. Someone went up to the microphone and complained about that these, these guys that are getting these going through like this on the festivals and stuff. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to learn. And he was uh, the grand secretary. Went up to the microphone and says, "Right now, in the state of Illinois, fifty percent of the officers right now that are serving in the state of Illinois went through on these festivals. Went through the line on these festivals." How does Freemasonry, if if you are correct, and we'll knock on wood, that? Um, we are looking at a sustained increase in applications, uh, a surge. How does Freemasonry prepare itself uh, to adequately handle that surge, to make sure that, you know, uh, not only are we getting applicants through, for example, in, in festivals, but that once they are initiated, passed and raised and throughout the process, they receive, you know, adequate mentorship. Um, they are not kind of, quote unquote, thrown to the wolves and, and put into officer positions maybe they're not ready for. You know, the, the infrastructure side of it, of even something small as, you know, I know plenty of junior wardens who are, you know, very busy as it is. And uh, you increase lodge attendance by, say, you know, uh, 10%, suddenly they are, they're preparing more food or whatever it is just you know do you do you think freemasonry can or how does it prepare itself to handle a sustained increase in applicants well that's a good question uh i'm looking back and i really don't know the answer to this for 100 percent. but as i mentioned before about the lodges in illinois back in the 20s it had a lot of members you know 2000 members i have records of my lodge, my member, my original lodge was called William McKinley Lodges. It was uh, dedicated in uh, 1904. But that lodge uh, there, it showed in, in 1929, they had 240 candidates. They raised 240 new master masons. That means they had to do that three times, you know, first degree, second degree, and third degree. Now, that's something uh, two, four, say around 700 meetings, right? Uh, and, and they couldn't do, they didn't have anything like we have today. You had to do them one at a time. That was it. And how did they do that? You know, nowadays, we only got two or three candidates, and we don't use, if we do them one at a time, it takes two or three months, you know. As, the only thing I know is that they must have, they, had, they met almost every night. They met almost every night. And... Well, how do you do that? How many people go out every night? No, but because they had 2,000 members, they could have a different group going every night, you know. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be any uh, hardship on, you know, one certain group. Now, that's the only way I can figure out that it worked. But there's, there's records of this not only in the Grand Lodge, uh, in uh, Lodge records, but in the, even in the Commandery uh, records and uh, that. So such amazing of all the things that we that we used to do back those years, you know. Well, does that go to um, a lack of uh, like a lack of imagination in, in current Freemasons? In that, because we've got so used to seeing Freemasonry a, a certain way that. Um, it's it's hard for Freemasons now to imagine, you know, uh, bringing in two hundred and forty candidates over, 
over a year. And, you know, even there's a, there's a constant debate, it seems like, about membership. And, um, you know, one, one concern that a lot of my guests have raised is that if membership grows too quickly or, or, or grows too much, the Masonic Lodge won't have adequate resources to dedicate to an individual applicant if they're dealing with, you know, 10, 20, 30% increase in membership. But my thinking is just like you brought up, you know, if that shows to me a lack of imagination, because presumably a greater number of applicants means a greater number of uh, resources, both financial, but also just in terms of times and in terms of members that you can rely on and you can have different groups doing, the, you know, meeting different nights of the week and having degrees and just, um, you know, it, it just seems so, so amazing, but not impossible that we could return to a time of, you know, 240 degrees in a year, if we just have a bit of imagination and put a bit of effort into it. Yeah, well, I think it, it uh, you know, if you look at, like I said before, the structure of masonry, it, it covers that in a sense, because if you look back in those lodges at back in the 20s, and they had all these members, they had 2,000 members, 1,800 members, 1,200 members and that, and they built temples then. They built Masonic temples, and none of the temples they built could handle 2,000 people or two or 1,200 even, you know. Most of them, you know, like it was 140, 150 people. So they didn't expect all of those members to go to and be active in the lodges. At, at when they built those temples. So, you know, it's a, it's a thing that uh, that's the way masonry, in my opinion, that's the way masonry is structured, not for everyone to, to be active. Uh, I guess about the simplest way to put it. But, uh, and, you know, you though, you yourself have certainly not only uh, have you been active, but you are still active? I know you have a few things coming up um, here in in Glenview and, you know, throughout the district. What would you say is, are you most looking forward to, um, you know, moving ahead uh, in, in the coming years? Are you excited to see the influx in membership and um, kind of the, the changes that are on the horizon? I would certainly like to see the membership go up. We're just getting too low uh, for the whole state of Illinois. You know, I, I believe now it's, uh, I said 40,000 a while ago, but I believe it's uh, 38,000 already. And uh, for the last 20 years, uh, we take it, we've been taking in about 2,000 members a year and we lose 5,000. Don't forget the guys like me, I'm 86 years old, but we had a lot of deaths. Uh, when I was master, uh, the very first time when I was master in 1970, uh, 1973, we had 900 members and uh, we had a merger of a lot of older lodges, lodges that were 100 years old and stuff. And they had an old membership. And I remember it personally because I had 50 funerals during my first year. And, that. and uh, so we had so many older guys uh, that had been around, masonry seems to live. Masons seem to live pretty long lives, and we have a, just recently uh, the average Mason, uh, the average age in Illinois was 66 uh, years old of a Mason. So that shows you that even with the younger guys coming in today, we hadn't made much inroads on that. Uh, the you know that's that's an interesting interesting point to bring up um you know the the average age i believe is about the same in in ontario you know certainly it's it's uh, an older uh quote unquote older demographic um but you know one thing i've tried to talk about in my podcast i've had guests on you know is for a lot of older members they may be uh, they, they may be widowed, they may not have a family or the family's moved away. Um, you know, Freemasonry and the lodge can be uh, a pretty significant source of social support. I know one of our big concerns during COVID uh, 
and the lockdowns was those older members who, you know, once lodges are suspended, they can't get out and see their brothers in person like they would, you know, every, sometimes every day, depending on how active they were. Um, you know, during the, the COVID lockdowns, either in Glenview or just in Illinois, uh, you know, were there efforts made to maintain contact with some of these virtually or, or however it was with some of those maybe more isolated members? And also, um, as lodges are returning, are you seeing, you know, these, these older members perhaps returning to lodge and, and um, uh, excited to, to be back? Well, we haven't had been going back very long now. It's been a short period right now, but I don't see it happening as yet. And that what I do see happening in masonry, which is a little bit more exciting right now, and you know, even during the pandemic. But uh, we, uh, when I talked about those guys years ago and all those guys, how many degrees they were doing, everything. Masonry was men and men and men and men. They didn't involve their families very much. And today, I noticed the younger people now today, at least they're involved in their families. We just had a, uh, an installation of officers and we had women and children on the sidelines, you know, uh, just as many as we did uh, Master Masons, which is really different and unusual because for many, many years of Masonry, uh, there was no women or nothing on the sidelines. They might say, come out, they come out for ladies night or something once a year and that was it, you know. But today's uh, world, they, uh, the younger guys now, their families want to be a part of it, be with them, you know, as much as they can. Naturally, they don't come to the uh, meetings, but they, but we have more things where they can come to, you know, more open meetings. You know. I think that's great. I've always said, you know, uh, Masonic Temple should be places of, you know, you should hear, um, obviously there's a time when it should be masons and masons only for for degree nights and business meetings but you know it it should be not irregular to go into a lodge and hear uh but children laughing and families um uh, you know hanging out with each other and meeting each other and dancing and all that type of stuff you know for so long masonic temples at least when i was growing up was that you know you go to the masonic temple for your for your christmas party and for events and you know the your dad was a mason and you you would go and you'd meet other kids whose dad was a mason and you know it was a part of the it was a part of the family's life um and the community's life and i think that that's an important thing that uh, has been lost a little bit over the years yeah i think that uh it's not, uh, you know, maybe true in all lodges at this point right now. It depends on the lodge, naturally, and that, but uh, it depends on the group of people, too. And uh, we were getting people now uh, that are a lot of activity who came in, into the United States from a different country and that. And they, they view it uh, more sacred, I would say, than we do, maybe. Uh, they really put all their effort, more effort into it and that. But, I guess it all goes back to uh, what we can do today, you know, or we take our telephone. We, we talked about that recently. Uh, we used to, you know, back when I first started in masonry, uh, that stuff wasn't there no more. There was a, the uh, television was come out, but it was very new and that was it. But, you know, we'd sit around and uh, during the dining room uh, before, uh, before we ate and uh, talk, uh, you know, to each other. Now, now you go to the dining room, all the guys are looking at their phone. They're not even talking with each other, you know. Uh, so we're getting lost up in uh, in this new stuff. And the guys, uh, you know, one guy will say, hey, did you ever go to so-and-so restaurant? And he says, oh, let me see. Yeah, here it is, here it is. You know, right away on the phone, the phone. <laughs> They go and look it up and uh, see what the menu is and that, you know, so we've got uh, we've got this stuff right at our fingertips and we're using it and we're we're just pushing everything else aside, in my opinion. You know? I agree. And I think that that is a, a good place to leave it. Thank you for 
while talking to me, 52 years of service to the craft so far, and I'm sure there's many more, and also for your uh, uh, giving me a couple of rides now and, and uh, meeting with me in Lodge. You did a, you know, you've done a lot of terrific things for, for Freemasonry. The most recent, I think, might be your work at the Glenview Masonic Temple. Uh, all the the new decorations you put on there and the pillars, those are very, very cool. Um, so, th so thank you for that. It's the first time I've seen them and they, they're beautiful. Um, it just goes to show, you know, little things can make a big difference in a, in a lodge room. Um, how long did it, did it take you to put all those up? Like, did you paint them all yourself, or? Yeah, well, I, I did most of that work in the last year, because uh, I got on the board of the temple board and that, and uh, so I had able to get, get things done. But, uh, yeah, our, our, our temple is a beautiful uh, temple, and uh, it's not uh, like the old-type temples. It doesn't have all the old good structures and stuff. It's a little more modern. But it has a big, large uh, room, and uh, but it just it had windows, and it just had white draperies hanging on them, and they got raggedy and old, and that. And what we have now is, uh, you know, we put I put in there. I wanted uh, to, because to, I like that old stuff. I'll show you a room before you leave here. That I got in my house here. But uh, what I what I like to do is to to think about. King Solomon's Temple, you know, that's what we're talking about. This is a big thing in Freemasonry, King Solomon's Temple. And I tried to bring some of that into the into the lodge room and put the columns, so I put the, the walls are covered, the drapers around the walls are got a lot of columns in them, you know, and uh, from the old, old, old world. And then uh, different uh, tapestries hanging up that that complete that, you know, and then the, the seating arrangements are not, uh, they're nice, uh, they blend in. And with, you know, my decorating skills and that I had, I just did it all myself, you know, even at my age I did it. And I didn't charge anything for that initially, but uh, uh, so uh, I think uh, everybody right now is, uh, that comes into the temple really are excited about it. I I can speak for myself. I was excited about it when I saw it. I thought it was very cool, so I wanted to make sure to mention that. And right, worshipful sir, thank you for your time. Well, I want to thank you for doing this. It's very great, and uh, I'm glad to see that you have to visit us again from from Canada. And then uh, we'll be looking for you again next year. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah. I hope to come back.